Welcome to the Unapologetics Podcast. We're here. We are unapologetically black, unapologetically Christian, and unapologetically me, with no apologies. That's what it is. That's what it is. Hey, uh, a few things I want to list off here real quick before we hop into this episode. This is like a very short as possible introductory piece because we have uh, just just so much content coming your way from the uh, main interview for this episode. Uh, one, I totally did not introduce myself in the first episode of this season. Just in case you don't know who I am. My name is Malachi A. Scribe. A. Scribe is spelled A plus sign scribe. The plus sign is silent. And I mean, I guess if you want to know how to spell my first name, M-A-L-A-C-H-I rhymes with apple pie. Yeah, there we go. But that's too much to like put together in one run. That's beside the point. Now that you know who I am, and just in case you don't know what this season is about, if it wasn't clear in the first episode, or you haven't listened to the first episode, well, actually, pause real quick. Go back to the first episode of this season, and then, hey, now you're back. This is episode two of season three of the Unapologetics podcast. Uh, This series within this season is entitled... In theory, we're going to be talking a lot about critical race theory and its implications in uh, church spaces and in black community and in uh, America, the world, social justice areas, all those things. We're tackling the question, the core question, is critical race theory compatible with the gospel? This has been a a question that's been uh, circulating in and out of debates in Christian spaces for uh, a few years now, just to give you context. And listen, this is like good pub for uh, following us on social medias, whether you follow me on uh, Instagram from my uh, ascribe account, that's um, ascribe rights or the unapologetics podcast. That's also its own Instagram. And both of those, like if you press the link that's in the bio, you'll see links to, um, various things from the podcast itself to music that I do to even events that I put on because I was saying in the last episode like whenever you don't hear a new episode of the podcast the podcast is like still happening like it's happening in real time it's happening on the ground it's happening in the trenches and out there in the public spaces so uh, last January January of 2022 we were able to put on uh, an event where uh, we talked about MLK CRT and the gospel and during that session, I had um, highlighted an article that I want to point you all to. I'm going to put that in the uh, show notes for this episode. Uh, this article is entitled One More Word About the Gospel, Cultural Marxism, and Social Justice by Solution L. Joseph with The Witness, which is a black Christian coalition. Um, sorry, a black Christian collective, right? I think that's I think that's what it is. Um, I'm just like looking at the title here of the article. Um, he says in his uh, first paragraph, many influential evangelicals have claimed that social justice is a form of cultural Marxism. Therefore, as they have argued unpersuasively, social justice is incomparable with the gospel and biblical notion of justice. I think um, in his writing, I'm not trying to sound like corrective, but I think if he was to write this again, he would probably use the word incompatible instead of the word incomparable, because that seems to be the word uh, that's consistent with uh, what what we hear in media outlets 
when it comes to these debates about critical race theory and the gospel, that word incomparable or sorry, incompatible or yeah. <clears throat> so the reason why I bring up this is because like this, this didn't just like pop up out of nowhere, this conversation about critical race theory and the gospel. Uh, this has been around in various ways, shapes and forms ever since the black Christian has resisted white oppression, um, especially those um, who are Christian creating these arguments in Christian spaces because, I mean, the Christian Church of America has played a, a, a pivotal or, or a, a major role in the, the um, birth and maintenance of oppressive systems here in America. So it's only right that we tackle these issues in those same faith spaces, in those same church spaces, in order to liberate everyone. And so the reason why I bring up this article is because this this came out in April of 2019. During that time, for for black and brown individuals who were Christian, who were advocating for social justice and anti-racism, it seemed like every time we would make these moves and make claims and um, argue points and whatnot, the backlash we would get from more conservative white evangelicals was being labeled as Marxists or like socialists and in some extreme cases, communists. And we refuted, refuted, refuted. But now like, that term has taken shape and form of what people on that side, on the conservative right-wing side, are calling and naming critical race theory. The issue is, it's a misnomer. <laughs> the issue is, a lot of people on that side don't actually know what critical race theory is. What's What adds to the issue is that those who were in social justice spaces on the other end and in black and brown communities may or may not also know what critical race theory is. And so I think to have better conversations about this, we need to know exactly what it is and we need to see how we even got up to this point to where we are talking about this. So with that being said, that brings us here to this episode and to kind of give like narrative of how we got around to this conversation and tackling that, that core question is critical race theory compatible with the gospel. So here's our uh, second interview of the season. Um, the first episode was a part of the um, mini series that's within this series called conviction and conversation. This next installment is in a sense, its own miniseries as well. This is the 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 R and R. This is the reading in righteousness, and so we're taking a look at various books that I'm reading or have been suggested to me, and talking with authors of those books um, about, of course, their work, but also its implications um, in regards to this conversation about critical race theory and the gospel. So uh, I'm very honored and privileged to have. 
uh, Pastor Brian Hudson. I'm going to introduce him here in a few moments. And we're going to talk about his book, uh, Biblical and Social Justice. What is it? through some preliminaries here so and then we'll get into like the the real shebang and everything but always like press the record button as soon as i hit the session just in case we get like some good exclusive content yes sir yes sir sir. how's the family doing family's great everybody's good we had uh and our grandkids all three of them we had two of them with us mm-hmm. uh, last weekend, and the baby came over to visit us a couple of times. So, right, I saw was, the pictures. Yeah, it's great, man. It's just one day you'll find out. One day, <laughs> one day, somebody, got to fix up with somebody. Everybody's trying. I know, I know. <laughs> man, listen, forget them. Do what's in your heart. Amen. And don't get me wrong, not that I'm not looking. I have to talk about this later, but um, not that I'm not looking. It's just like I was having this discussion with a friend. He was like, bro, you have too many options. Like, I I have, like, friends who I guess I have potential. It's hard to talk about because I don't want to sound like no player. But (laughs) uh, there are those in whom I have considered or am considering currently, it's just a matter of like, so bro was saying, okay, you got too many options. You need contenders. So I was like, oh, okay, that, I can, okay, that, I like that. So I'm just thinking of like, who can I do life with and who can do life with me? And so that, I feel like that just takes some time to figure out. And the, I wish, like, I, I don't necessarily wish I, I was back with any of my exes, but at the same time, it's like, man, I was I was with them right before the whole game changed, and now you have to do everything like online with dating and, and whatnot. Back then, it was optional. Now, it's like, it's almost like uh, beyond the norm. It's almost a requirement now in these, uh, these days, but um, I feel like it was easier back then because now it's like that pressure of... Oh, we're both going out on this day. We're meeting each other for the first time, but the both of us are thinking about the long running marriage, which is good. It's just like, it's just difficult to build a genuine friendship when both parties or maybe just one party is like rehearsing these images and ideas in their mind. And that's like jading perhaps your view of a person. So whatever that honeymoon phase was, it gets like extended. Mm-hmm. And I, f- yeah, I feel like that's been like my downfall in the past where I just like, you know, just ignore the things that were red flags in the beginning um, that were red flags for like that's on that person and stuff in myself that we wow. both just ignored. And next thing you know, a uh, couple of years down the road or months down the road, we figure out like, oh, this is this is not a good idea. Yeah, that's what you don't. Well, you want to avoid that situation. Avoid going two years down the road and trying to go out. It's a, it's what it, you know what I'm saying? So I would, I suggest, man, don't overthink it. You That's what everyone is telling me. Yeah, and uh, don't overthink it, overprocess it. Like, kind of like me, I remember 
I missed one test, one question on the driver's test. Okay, really. And the question was: if all four cars mm-hmm. come to the four-way stop at the same time, who goes first? I'm like, it's impossible for all four cars to arrive at the same time. I feel like, oh, oh, that's my thinking, overthinking, right? It's impossible, but but the answer is the car to the right. Right, whoever has the right of way. Now whoever's coming uh, to the right of you, if all four cars come at the same time, yeah, which is impossible. But if they apparently, especially in Chicago, same time, <laughs> the one to the right, the one to the right. Way, see, we overthink stuff sometimes, man. You know, yes, sir. And we wound up just making a problem for ourselves by overthinking. You know. <laughs> Yep, yep, yep. I'm working on that. So just I'll, keep me in prayer. I will, I will. Hey, well, you sound like bit distorted. That's just the transmission on my end. It's not your end, right? Um, Are you good. hot on your end? Your mic a little hot? You love it hot? Can you tell? Nope. Okay. Oh, actually, wait, wait, wait. Yeah, let me turn that down a little bit. It wasn't peaking before, so I ignored that. Let me, okay. Now I'm in the yellow. Just uh, just touching yeah, the red just a little is. bit. Yeah, man. That's, that's much better. Yeah, All right. Better. Thank yeah. you. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Seriously, y'all, y'all who are listening, like, I'm getting, like, free nuggets from the guru himself. Oh, man. I almost didn't want to come on here like this. I, almost, I was going to try to meet you in person, but uh, I, um, unfortunately, I caught the virus, man. Okay. And so, like, I can be out as of last Friday, but I just, you know, just want to be no, safe just fine. in case oh, yeah, right okay. actually wait I was glad that I didn't meet you in person because I didn't want to bring my stuff and then like you know uh, the next thing you know I'm always going to like get some good notes but I just didn't want it to be a situation where I'm feeling embarrassed I know you're going to say something I know you're going to say something about me not having a Mac you already said that before no, I'm, I'm okay. just messing it this way that's over be like sir I got I may think so. I may think I feel a certain way, but I ain't gonna say that. <laughs> no, I mean, listen. In all honesty, man, some of the best work in production is on PCs. No doubt. Best. I mean, Hollywood, the real high, high, high level stuff. Yes, is PCs, man. Animations, that kind of stuff, man. So I'm, I'm yep. agnostic. The key is Not you agnostic. have the skills to use whatever yes, you sir. got. That's the yep. bottom line. Yeah. That's the bottom line. Yeah, man. Yes, sir. Well, speaking of that, yeah, about here a lot, a lot, a lot of these nuggets, a lot of these, uh, uh, these, these buckets of wisdom, uh, from this man right here. This is Pastor Brian Hudson, a uh, demon. This is a doctor, of, a doctor, doctor of ministry. Uh, he, he, he has a passion to serve God's purpose in ministry, community, missions to Africa and digital media. Uh, as a senior pastor of New Covenant Church with more than 39, count them. 39 years of experience empowering people through Bible teaching and practical wisdom in his mission. Uh, he's an author of 10 books. Once again, count them, 10 books, uh, including one we'll talk about today, and the host of the Firm Foundation podcast and blog with over 1,100 articles. You know, people talk about putting in those uh, 10,000 hours, and that's when you reach mastery. This man has like 20,000 plus hours. Uh, Brian is a thinker and commentator on the key issues of our time. He has earned his degrees in Bachelor of Theology, Bachelor of Science in Media Arts and Science, Master of Science in the Instructional Design, and Doctor of Ministry. And I'm sure there's probably another one pending. Uh, he's been recognized for contributions to the state of Indiana and youth mentoring 
for 20 years, Pastor Hudson uh, conducted multimedia empowerment programs for youth to equip the next generation of gi- of digital media producers. 42 years, they're married to the beautiful Patricia Ann Hudson, uh, MS, and inner city public school educator. They have raised four gorgeous children, uh, have three grandchildren, and who are also incredibly gorgeous, and reside in Indianapolis, Indiana. And he's also the writer of Biblical and Social Justice. I don't know why I'm holding up like people can see it. (laughs) Biblical and Social Justice. What is it? An Everyday Person's Guide to Understanding Justice and the Role of the Church in Our Society. And also the Apple Apologist Preacher himself. Pastor Brian Hudson, everybody. Thank you. Thank you, Malachi. Appreciate being on with you. Yes, yeah, it's, it's so such an honor to have you on the podcast. Um been knowing you for oh god, years, 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 years. And you know, have a laundry list of things to give you for being um, a point of inspiration in my personal life. You know, I'm a product of um, an extension of your ministry, actually, like in two ways. I remember uh, on two occasions coming to uh, minister and perform at your church during one of your uh, youth conferences. This was, this was way back. This was like, yeah, oh, yes. Yes. I, I can't remember what years that I know it was before 2010, of course. So, like, Oh eight, maybe oh seven or something like that. Yeah, and then of course, um we mentioned earlier in your bio running youth programs, one of which uh the multimedia in focus vision, which is uh for y'all who don't know, this is a multimedia camp that Pastor Brian Hudson used to run for how many years? Twenty years. Twenty years. Yes. I'll tell you when uh whenever I get in discussions about quote unquote uh black on black crime and people try to say this and that which you know of course doesn't like it's a misnomer but if i if ever i like for lack of a better term like conceive with somebody and say like okay let's let's pretend that that's an actual issue instead of you complaining about it someone who's an outsider of this community how about you put your money where your mouth is and so whenever i have those discussions uh, you and this program definitely want to think about. I'm like, I can name five organizations and programs right now that are tackling this what you call black on black crime, and it 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 means nothing for you to speak on these things without actually trying to do something. Otherwise, you're just talking about something that you don't even know about and people that you don't know about. So, I, I mean, like, I have so many things to give to you uh, for that. Not that, you know, I was um, troubled youth, per se, but um, I know from others that I've seen going through the program that this is this was a saving grace for a lot of people. Um, this is something that young black kids needed to uh, see, not just from a distance, but up close and personal. And you made sure that we got our hands on equipment that otherwise we were not um, awarded the opportunities to even even touch. And so you, you've been changing lives and impacting lives for, for a great number of years. And that we, it, it is apropos that we give you those flowers now on this side of heaven. Well, thank you, Malachi. And thank you for coming in and being an instructor one year. And photography, man. You brought your energy and your, your creativity and expertise. We had a great time when you were an instructor. Yeah. 
sessions. Yes, thank you, thank you. Yes, that's right. I still have pictures from those weeks and like ah, unforgettable experience. And um, it's you know part of the reason why I'm able to do what I do now. I don't know if I told you, but I'm now teaching digital media at Shore Ridge High School. Oh wow, awesome. Yes, sir. This, this, I just completed my first year of doing that, so it's it's definitely a good change of pace and like an answer prayer because I was doing English and history for a number of years. So it's like, wow, I'm like doing the thing that <laughs> I otherwise don't always feel like I have the time and energy to do. Now I'm like, hey, I gotta teach this. <laughs> That's both sides of your brain working. You know, there one side analytical, one side creative, both sides. Yes, <laughs> beautiful marriage. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you so much. So we're here to talk about this book, Biblical and Social Justice. What is it? So, um, actually, before we get into this book, I I have to ask this question, and it it is about the book. It's about content that's covered in the book. So, Pastor, you went to jail? Yeah, as a youth uh, in college, I got in trouble for a minute, you know, and uh, the quick story is... I went, I was, uh, I think a sophomore at Ball State, went to the Earth, Wind, and Fire concert downtown. Okay. <laughs> with my girlfriend in her daddy's car, and I parked the car in the wrong place, and the police told it. Oh, no. So, I went across the street, you know, where Marcus Square was across the street in that day from the uh, city county building, right? Okay. So, I go over, I go over to the police office. Several of us were there. Whoever parked over there got towed away. We didn't see any signs. Mm. So we're standing at the door trying to figure out what to do about our cars. And it looked like to me, and I wasn't saved then, make that important distinction. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, a a pastor? (laughs) Not saved? That was BC before Christ, okay? And it looked like to me they were mocking me. Oh. Yeah, they were. But the devil would be thinking they were mocking me. So I broke out the window of police headquarters. What? With my fist. Which, wow. A small window. But they let me in. Wow. <laughs> they let me in. And I spent the night in the lockup, scared to death. I was a college kid. I was not a, was not a hoodlum. And so I go to jail. And I'm in the lockup. And the next morning, I figure my dad come. You know, I call my dad. I said, he'll come get me out of here. And, and so we go to the court. And uh, they bring me out with the other inmates a lot in lockup. We go up to the uh, the judge, and I didn't see my dad in there. And my heart sank. <clears throat> and so the judge said, uh, he announced the crime. He said, yeah, you, you malicious destruction of public property. You broke the window at police <laughs> headquarters, and the whole court erupted in laughter. <laughs> he did what? He broke the window. <laughs> I wasn't laughing. And then they said, right. I said, sir, I didn't mean to do it. I tried to say something, you know. <laughs> right. You know, I was just, just trying to get my car. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so they sent me back to a lockup area behind the court, behind the chambers. And I just, I, I was scared, man. And then they sent, somebody sent word for me. A black attorney, watch this, a black attorney hmm. sitting in the courtroom saw me and heard me and called me, called for me. As it, as it turned out, my dad went to the wrong courtroom. Oh, no. That's all it was. And so he found my dad, came back in, brought me out, 
and he he talked to the judge, worked things out. Basically, I didn't get any any uh, no no fines, no punishment. They just God had mercy on me. All right? mm. He had mercy on my sinful soul. Amen. And just but but by I tell the story because it's an example of using your privilege to help somebody. Mm. This young black attorney didn't have to do anything for me. He didn't even know who I was. He used his privilege. And maybe he saw himself in me. I don't know. He used his privilege, all right, to help me and my dad. Wow. And so that was one of the things that inspired me to give back, right, to use my privilege, my knowledge, my expertise to help young people. Not just those who are in trouble, but help everybody. Yeah, so I, that was my that was my life of crime. It lasted less than twenty four hours. <laughs> you said after this, like I don't like this. <laughs> this ain't working for me. <laughs> oh no, scared straight. My hey, it'd be like that. Wow, well, yeah, that's that's one of the um, many things and stories that you get to hear from uh, reading this book. Uh, speaking of, like, so if you can. Just quickly, give us a little backstory of this book. Like, how did this how did this come to be? We know that um, you have put out a number of writings, whether uh, definitely articles that you've written, other books. But how how did we get here to this biblical and social justice? What is it? Well, that's the result of a long process of concern and engagement in social matters. As you indicated, I have a blog at brianhudson.com. I have over 1,200 articles in my blog on every subject, including justice, social justice, biblical justice, and of course the events of 2016, you know, with President number 45 coming in, and and of all of the, um, the dismay around how Christians, quote-unquote, were supporting someone like this, and then mm-hmm. we began to see policies changing, and I began to think, what is going on? So I began to research. Now, I was also in my doctor ministry program as well, and wrapping that up, and really? so my D-Men project was, was coming, and so I selected to do a research study on biblical justice. And that became the topic of my uh, of my demon project, not dissertation, but demon project. Gotcha. And so that's when I focused on these on these areas of justice, of social justice, biblical justice, civil justice, what the scripture has to say, what contemporary issues, how they impact upon justice, and that's what. Uh, so that resulted in a book that you had there before. That's good, because like. It, it seemed like, I mean, definitely that year, but like we were, we were, um, going through these conversations for a number of years, um, from definitely from Trayvon Martin, like from 2014 on up, 2012 right. even on up. It seemed like there was this ongoing and even now today, this ongoing discussion about like whether or not like the Bible actually, um, gives us like, I guess, like, for lack of a better term, permissions to, one, talk about these things, talk about these issues and matters, and then, two, do something about it or do very specific things about it. It seemed like it was, uh, we were, like, fighting for our lives, having these conversations with, with, uh, pastors and lay ministers and, uh, um, 
other brothers and sisters in Christ about whether or not this is this is biblical or that this is Christian or if this is antithetical to the gospel and this and that. So when when I saw that you put out this book and um, the amount of clarity that you give here in the book that I feel like it's just so necessary for us navigating those conversations. Absolutely. So we appreciate that. Um, speaking of, so in the in certain parts of the book, like you go about defining or giving a definitions for uh, for justice, for whether it's biblical justice, social justice, and then civil justice as well. So how how does one define biblical justice and why is there a need to like differentiate that from just saying regular justice and then even social justice well very important because scripture tells us to rightly divide the word it means to understand the context in which uh, words are used and positions are stated and in my research and in life we have I've discovered there's three types of justice. There's first biblical justice, there is social justice, and there is civil justice. And those are very separate and distinct. Hmm. And it's important to make the distinction because sometimes people think that biblical justice applies to everybody everywhere. Hmm. But when you look at the scriptures, what the scriptures actually teach, uh, you see that biblical justice is what God wanted his people to do. Hmm. Hebrews in the Old Testament, believers in the New Testament, and when we examine the scripture and look at the instances of the, of the word justice, you'll find that the relationship between justice and righteousness are always linked together. Right. So much we can say that there is no justice without righteousness, and no righteousness without justice. Mm-hmm. Well, then to expect an unbeliever to do biblical justice is not reasonable, because one cannot obey the Scripture without the Holy Spirit. Right. Without Jesus. Now, not to say the Bible is not always it's always true, but we're not going to. We're not called to persuade unbelievers, folks of different religions, to do what the Bible says. Right, the whole moral code is, is different. Right. That's biblical justice, right? Now, mm-hmm. social justice is then what we do to impact the world, feeding the hungry, housing issues, civil rights, and such. Uh, how, from opposition of obeying God mm. and living righteously, what then do we do? Well, we do all the work we see being done. You run media camps. You know? <laughs> uh, that's you're that's what it says in the Bible. That's what it says. <laughs> yes. Even to the point where, as an educator, while you're not preaching in your classroom, you, as a, as a man of God, are extending righteousness into your classroom. Yes, sir. So social justice is the outworking of what we do as Christ followers. And then civil justice is specifically dealing with our legal system, jurisprudence, ordinances, laws that pertain to a state, country, and so that if you know if a person is speeding called speeding, you get a ticket, you're into civil you're into the civil justice system. And so the mistake that we we sometimes see or see often now is Christians thinking they're supposed to go around and impose <laughs> biblical justice on everybody. But if we did that, 
then we're more like Muslims doing Sharia law oh. than we are believers winning hearts and minds through mm. the love of God and by the gospel. So yeah, there's a distinction between biblical justice, social justice, and civil justice. And we're involved in all three. But right. we don't confuse all three. We know what to apply when. We know what it, what pertains to us. And so we don't we don't look at somebody who's on the street uh, suffering and hungry and quote scripture at it. <laughs> no, we do scripture. Right. We do what we know without even quoting it. So then it's biblical justice for us to, to understand. God said we ought to have mercy on the fatherless, serve the widow, defend, defend the poor. That's what he said right. we should do. That's our mandate. Well, social justice is in walking out, doing what God told us to do. Not trying to impose what God told us to do on people who don't know God. That's it. That's we. That's the era of Christian nationalism. We'll get more into that, of course. So, yeah, that's a little summation of what uh, I view as the three types of justice. That's good. That's good. I'm trying to find. Um, you, you hit a you hit a point in the book that I wanted to bring up. I don't want to read too much of it though, because people need to read the book. <laughs> you need to get well, this sure, book and read it. Sure, whatever you find. But it was it was something to the degree of what what you were just saying, like like. Our, our our gospel mission and our um, evangelism would be rendered ineffective if if like if we think that the answer to every social issue is just like us saying oh here it is, here it is right here you was like when personal religious conviction is allowed to replace reason research sociology and empirical evidence uh, for example when presented with complex problems a person of religious conviction it might include they just need Jesus. <laughs> but that's not like that, like don't get me wrong like yes we do believe that th- what the song says that Jesus is the answer for the world today but that doesn't that doesn't mean like literally just sit th- down next to a person and be like Jesus and automatically their problems are fixed and every social problem is fixed don't get me wrong Christ has the power to do that but like it, we like we must have like strategy we must have um um I don't want to say cunningness, but like we, we must be, we must be, have a little bit more, like hone in on a certain craft that it takes to, um, get things done in the way that we can effectively like infiltrate systems, uh, infiltrate like groups and mindsets and hearts yeah. to effectively communicate the gospel and bring people to Christ. If that's the yeah. mission. Let me, let me address that. That's, that's a very uh, important question. And I believe it's one of the major fallacies of church engagement in society. Just to say all they need is Jesus. The fact is, you got people who know Jesus who don't follow Jesus. <laughs> you got First people running around the church <laughs> talking about amen, praise the Lord. They don't do what the Bible says. Mm. So we know there, we know Christ is the foundation, you know, to life. We know this. But it's one of the, I think it's one of the, one of the worst outcomes of this thinking, Malachi, is that evil people, oppressors, and a Users are tolerated and allowed to continue their actions until they quote unquote get saved. Yeah. So if the oppressor, if the answer is he needs Jesus, so he gets to continue his oppression. <laughs> he got Jesus, he Jesus. Or do we deal with him now? 
Right? Right. We deal with oppressors and evil people. We don't wait. We don't wait for them to get saved. Also, I believe the problem with that with that thinking, I believe it makes people intellectually lazy. I believe that people who think like that aren't willing to get in and do the hard work of social justice, Uh of loving people, because if we serve people properly, they will want to come to Christ. They will want to follow the one whom we follow. Now, we always preach, we know that, but if we preach but do not provide the actual need that is facing them, don't address that need, then as the Bible says, we're, you know, we just love, and love is in, we're like a sounding brass. We're just making noise. <laughs> making noise. And I believe also, Malachi, another important problem that this thinking generates is this idea that we just have transaction with people, just transact. Mm. You know, I'm going to talk to you about Jesus, you get saved, and I'm, and I'm happy. You know, I hope you're right. okay. But we should be more relational. Mission accomplished. Yeah, yeah. A notch, a notch, I put a notch in my gun, whatever, you know. <laughs> but no, we, we should be more relational than That's transactional. It. Right. And people do appreciate and know the difference between somebody coming to help them or just preach at them. People yes. are full of being preached at. And so there are many problems. Some are of it. Oh, I mean, they, 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 won't, they won't stand for it. They just walk away and look away and and hope you go away. They be res- they'll be respectful. Let you finish your sentence. <laughs> maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe. <laughs> but where is Malachi? Where is the willingness? Mm-hmm. Whether or not people receive my message of the gospel, where is the heart to help people anyway? Yeah, we see in the scripture Jesus put the model that helping people regardless of their status, whether or not they're going to get saved today. Mm. Help the people, serve mm. the people. That is social justice. So the mandate of biblical justice to us, first, obey God, you live right, you do what God says. Mm-hmm. You cannot export what you don't have. Mm. And, I, and I reiterate, fellow Christians themselves are not doing the word. Mm. So we're in no position to mandate other people doing right. what God said. We lose credibility. Well, we're not doing what God says. Right. We lose credibility of that. That's it. And uh, and like the church has like just such an awesome responsibility to 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 make that our um really like to mandate that for ourselves in our hearts and minds and in our practices to make sure that we are living out what we say we believe so that people are attracted to that integrity. Otherwise, yeah, like it's, it's hypocritical of us to like try to dictate by word or by action what other people do with their lives and their own sense of morality if we're not even doing the thing that we're talking about. Exactly. It's called moral authority. Right? Moral. There's no moral authority to guide right. us if we ourselves are not holding ourselves to account and each other accountable to to love God, to serve God. That's primary. It's almost yep. like, you know, if we have encounters in life sometimes where people want to who have no knowledge, you know, want to want to talk to us about things. Remember when I was a young man, about your age, uh, well, I was actually younger than you are now, and I, I just gotten saved, and I was really full of myself. 
And, you know, God had mercy on me. You know, thank God for his mercy, Malachi. His mercy endures forever. I, I need that mug every day. <laughs> I <proved> that, okay? <laughs> I remember I was having a discussion with somebody on a topic I had no knowledge on. I was just pontificating and talking and made my big point. Bars. And someone said, Brian, so how is that? How is that? <laughs> uh, uh, I got the answer to the question. I mean, I'm just talking. So, <laughs> so didn't you just hear me? Like, I, <laughs> I said enough. <laughs> no, I wouldn't say anything. Right? He, he wanted me to prove it. Now, this was actually an older believer. Okay. I'm trying to match wits with somebody who's been saved for a while. So, no, gee, okay. And he came back, like, okay, Brian, well, how is that? Tell us. I'm like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> and we find ourselves there on many issues today. We'll come to the point, the point about CRT later. There are a lot of things in life where Christians are pontificating. pontificating. They're not students of no. the things they're talking about. And we're being exposed for not being prepared, not being knowledgeable, not being engaged. Yes. And, and folks are tired of that too. They're tired. Right. What? You said running out mouths and not being prepared and not being prepared to help. Facts. Yeah. Like whether that's coming from, you know, predominantly white evangelical spaces or even in, in even in the context of the black church, like we this is why like we're seeing like so many um so many have an exodus from the church, whether it's the church meaning like this particular church right here, or the body of Christ in general, and like now people are turning to things like you know um, African spirituality or um, uh, conscious, like diving deeper into the conscious community, um, or and and even some senses like Hebrew Israelism, and you know other you know other doctrines or other uh, credences out there. In which people are like, you know, I'm, I'm just tired of all this pontificating that people in church or, you know, people I see who I see as the church doing in my life that has not helped me a single bit. But this seems a little bit more helpful over here because it, um, it identify it um, affirms my identity uh, on you know so many levels and seems to give me what I feel like is a you know, better answer to this question. Or it gives me an answer, period. Not that it's a better answer, it just gives me an answer for the questions that y'all apparently aren't equipped to even discuss or have an right, answer so for. All, right. all we're saying is, you need Jesus. <laughs> well, we have to be Jesus, but we need more than that. But honestly, he gives us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And godliness. So, yeah, all about things. those all things. Right. <laughs> Well, we'll get saved too. Get sanctified. Yeah, what do you know? <laughs> Nothing over here. Nothing. And so you know, we, we, you know, we compromise. We understand the importance of knowing Christ. We never minimize that. We also know about a God that there are a lot of believers in Christ who are experts in different fields. We work in different fields. You're an educator. We got people who are in medical science. People who are in physics. We got believers everywhere. So we need, we need to have a mindset where let's, let's, let's make sure the gospel is being preached, and that's a separate function. And after they come to Christ, let's disciple them. Let's help them renew their minds. And let's be willing and prepared to say, you know what? I don't know about this. I subject. don't know. I right. know somebody who does. That's it. I need people to say sometimes. I'm going to say, I don't know. 
it's it's liberating. Sometimes I'm preaching mm. and, and I and I, I remind people, you know what? It's it's liberating to say I don't know. Mm. And y'all say that. Say it. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> that. Work on that. It's liberating. Mm-hmm. Somehow we think that because we are Christ followers, we automatically have the answer for everything. Wow. Yeah. 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 And you look at our lives, and it's obvious that we don't. Everybody <laughs> knows we don't have all the answers, so don't except us. Let's, let's stop fronting, right? Let's just right. be real and direct people to the source of help. Okay, this is my last question on, on that specifically, and like let's let's go on to these other questions. Okay. Like, what do you what do you think that comes from? Do you think that comes from like some kind of like an insecurity, especially like if someone is thinking on like a merit based ministry like oh i have to at least look like i know what i'm saying and what i'm talking about and even though i'm not knowledgeable about the subject i have to at least appear so that i can appeal so that this person will get saved i mean like especially like um they'll say like in white evangelical communities like it, it seems like the community the white community at large like it seems to be like a cultural value like the toxic the toxic portion like the toxic value of like appearing knowledgeable or appearing more knowledgeable than whoever you're speaking with about any kind of subject it, like it almost seems like that's that's like a cultural norm in certain spaces and even in ch- like especially in church spaces like whether it's a pastor or somebody you know, you're just talking about uh, talking with across the pew. Like they have to appear as though they are knowledgeable, knowledgeable enough on every subject um, in those conversations in order to to win you over or something like that. Well, I think that's true, Malachi. It's an artifact of how we are structured as a nation. We'll come to that point as well, uh, where early on, you know. Black folk were perceived as inferior, mm-hmm. you know, curse of ham, stuff like this. And so some in the white community, uh, the Christian community, uh, embraced that notion that they were destined, right, to govern, to lead, to manage others. And even though that is, uh, you know, that's not spoken today, but if one is raised and steeped in a mindset like that, yeah. it's hard to shake it. That's even it. in the 21st century. And it's interesting how we encounter that, even from people who aren't who aren't vicious or right, who, who are not malevolent, but they have this force of culture and training that makes them think, I'm better. <laughs> and like the old saying is, uh, the white man's ice is colder, you know. <laughs> and again, not accusing, but these are facts. These are facts we observe empirically in our society. Mm. I was in a meeting a couple of years ago with a brother who was uh, with some, uh, some, uh, some of us black pastors, and he was from a big white church. I say white church in that sense. And he was telling us about their technology mm-hmm. and how they got screens and cameras. I'm like, look at all that. Right. <laughs> we have a screen that's as big as yours. But we got it. Made no mistake. was, he was among us to help us. Oh, okay. And in fact, if he had been quiet, we could have helped him. 
Mm. Way more than he could help us. So we have this. That's that's a problem we face, Malachi. It's not a problem of malice. I think it's more of a problem of ignorance. Yes, that's one of the reasons why I have a lot of white brothers and sisters and late with and such, and and those you know who become aware mm-hmm. learn that it's important when you're among people to just listen, learn, just listen. Don't assume. Do not assume they need you. Mm. Don't assume mm. that you're there to provide what they don't have. Mm. And you know, and in many cases, in these multicultural encounters, uh, which I, you know, it's a, it's a good thing get together, pastors get together. But really, the only thing the quote unquote black church needs is more money. We got everything else. We got everything else, <laughs> right? We don't have the, we don't have the resources, and so um, it is so important that. All of us, again, I think even on our side of the fence as African Americans, we sometimes paint with the broad brush, mm. right? As if every white person is a certain way, which is obviously not true because right, we right. don't want to be thought of that way ourselves. You right, that yeah, yeah. So we don't want to cast on people anything we don't want to be accused of ourselves. But you raise a very important point. And and that our culture, uh, for example, I'm 65 years old in ministry for 39 years. I've been I've seen a whole lot of things, not like that. I've been around here for a little. I, I am I am genuinely OG. I am OG. Okay? Genuinely OG. He <laughs> don't look like it. I've barely seen the grades up top, but okay. Oh yeah, <laughs> and so much so, I have documented. And my book does some of this as well, documented patterns that are systemic, there's the word, systemic in our culture. Yes, sir. And one of which is that black people are a quote-unquote problem people. Right. That, <laughs> that manifests, okay? Mm-hmm. And then there is the perception that there are others who are God-ordained to lead us and guide us and teach us. And so again, when that when that attitude is present, we have to address it. Right. And we have to address it. Right. And that's been the and like what people don't understand is like that's been that's been the problem from the jump, from the beginning. Like we look at um Manifest Destiny, right? Yeah. Uh Age of Enlightenment. It definitely um everything slavery, you know, like from sixteen nineteen on up or wherever your starting point is with that like when we i'll just bring this up real quick this is not this is not new for you this is like for other people who are listening but we think of like uh, good example right here christopher columbus like in his engagement in uh, hispaniola um when he came to you know what they were calling the americas right he wrote this letter to the king and queen uh, basically telling the king and queen like oh let's turn like Let's turn them into Christians so that they will serve the king and queen and therefore give up this gold. Like it's 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 this misnomer that that people from Europe came over here to the what we call the Americas in order to spread the gospel that this was the great commission being fulfilled and that this was godly ordained. It's like no, this was this was straight greed happening. This is something that is actually antithetical to the gospel because it they the gospel was not in mind for the sake of the, for the sake of the gospel. The gospel was in mind to exploit uh to extract good, goods and resources um at the expense of uh, the the inhabitants of the land, and then whomever they brought in via slavery to um, 
provide free labor for um, the 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 gaining and the ex- uh, and the and the uh, yeah for the gaining of those of those particular products and whatnot. Like this yeah, is that, no, yeah, that, yeah, that's that's part of the miseducation that fuels the false narrative. Yep. Of the Americas or the European exploration being somehow an extension of God's kingdom, and it was clearly about greed and subjugation. And not to mention that when they traveled to these nations, uh, John, uh, Captain Cook from England went out to Hawaii, and they brought diseases that decimated populations. About ninety percent. Yeah. So, you know, how how can God be in that? And people. Mis, mis, uh, mistake or overlook rather the reality that the gospel went to Africa, Africa. before it went to Europe. <laughs> Way Ethiopia. before it went to Europe. Right. And that, in, in fact, in my book, I, um, I highlight John Wesley. He did an extensive article and he talked about his thoughts about his thoughts about slavery. Right, right. And, and the slave trade and his observations from first-hand accounts of people who had been to Africa before the slave trade started. Mm-hmm. It was not chaos. It was ordered society. <laughs> they weren't savages. They weren't savages. <laughs> None of that. And so um, it, a lot of these narratives that have been deeply rooted in educational systems have have given rise to the to the justification that slavery was somehow helpful. I remember <laughs> when we had our daycare, we got a visit from uh, Bob Jones University. They have curriculum. Okay. And salesmen came to our daycare, and I welcomed them in, and we were talking about his curriculum. And I said, well, let me talk to you about slavery. <laughs> cut to the chase here. And what he said to me, Malachi, he said, slavery was good for black folk because mm. it brought us to America. Oh, no. And with oh, that, no. I, I, I had to show him the door. You know? There came a big church. Right, now, there's a door, and there's a door. There came a big your house and said that. Oh, Same no. But that is a common thought among many evangelicals that slavery was a blessing because it brought us out of a savage place, mm. out of hedonism, hedonism and idolatry. Wow. Yeah, and, and so that is a structural problem, right, that has contributed to the yes. mindsets that still exist even until this day. And only so only proper education can correct that. So that's why I wrote the book in yes. part was to correct the historical record. Not to correct it, actually, to tell the truth about it. To tell the truth, right. It's correct. Right, right. it's been correct. <laughs> yeah, but to counteract, I'll say, the false narratives. And it's, it's amazing. For example, we have uh, a constitution. We have 55 framers mm. of our constitution. 25 of them owned enslaved people. 25 of them. It's about half. 16 of them depended on the income. Mm. Some didn't. That's the other half. <laughs> so, so then, how? Why would you found a nation and and you would allow slavery to be a part of it and then say it's a Christian principle? <laughs> well, my conclusion was it is a Christian principle. <laughs> it's, 
that's their their Christian principles. Their Christian Christian principles, right? Enslaving people, right? They're right. We just want to make sure that's clear for everybody. They say (laughs) your own Christian principles. They're not lying. They're telling you we believe that our Christian principles included enslaving people, uh, raping people, abusing. Oh my goodness! That's going to sound offensive to some listeners. I'm saying. I'm just getting us honestly uh, just think logically about it. Because if you say this was built on Christian principles and you allow and the nation started mm. right, and then Frederick Douglass gave a speech uh forty some odd years after the constitution was ratified about July fourth, in which he, he right. gave a speech that said to what you know, to what what does the 4th of July mean to the slave? To the slave, yeah. yeah that speech. Because, uh, you know, that many years later, there was it was still slavery. Right. And the slavery <laughs> continued till 1865. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, I did the, <laughs> the calculation, Malachi. I looked at, okay, we have, you know, we have the Bill of Rights. We have the... Uh, the uh, Declaration of Independence, right? Yes. July 4th, mm-hmm. 76. Then there was the Constitution was ratified in you know, 1788. Then we go through, uh, you know, then we have the Emancipation Proclamation mm-hmm. in 18, what, 63. Mm-hmm. And we have Juneteenth. We finally got word to Texas. <laughs> right. To finally, in, 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 in 1865. Then we have to have, had to have a 13th Amendment. To, to legally free a slave. To put on paper, right. Yeah, put on paper. Then we had to have a 14th Amendment to say, if you're born here, you're a citizen. Right. But then, it wasn't until 1964 65 that we had a Voting Rights Act. <laughs> right, because we, you know, not to mention black codes and then uh, Jim Crow laws. and Yeah. So, so watch this. Here's the Christian nation, right? So then it took 189 years mm. to bring, mm. to guarantee rights to every American wow. in a Christian nation. Wow. Can I, I, I'm going to say that stuff further. Just, just real quick, just real quick. Yeah. Then I'm going to let you get back to it. And then even on top of that, still f- the nation, like in the powers, that be, the governing powers that be, still finding ways to keep what was going on during those times the status quo in any in, in different ways, shapes, and forms. So like yes, the the um, erection of the thirteenth amendment, which you know brought the erect the the abolishment of slavery, but at the same time, if you go back and read the thirteenth amendment, the word slave is still in there. Well it said except for except for right voluntary servitude. With as bond, punishment. As punishment, right. right. As punishment for crime. And that and that's slavery. Correct. So people they imprison are essentially slaves. Ridiculous, right? It's like, how, like, but this is, but this is like a Christian that's founded. I mean, a nation founded on you know, quote unquote, Christian principles. That's right. That's interesting. It is, isn't it? And this is why we understand Malachi. We we love our nation. We love you know the people and such. But we're not blind to right. And and we're not. We're not we're not blinded to the, the reasons for the systemic issues we see until this day. Till this day, you know, I, I saw I saw a meme that said the system is not broken; 
It was designed this way. It's doing it's doing exactly what it was supposed to doing exactly what it was designed to do. And hence that's why we are vigilant. That's why Dr. King and, 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 and your grandfather, you know who I saw his picture down at the in, in Memphis. I said, yes. God, there is there's Malachi's granddad, there's Brian's dad, a, a freedom rider. That's why he did those things to, yes, to, to challenge the system, to challenge the broken system, and we're still challenging it until this day. Right. For the and we'll stop challenging because we can be better. We must That's be it. better. Ooh, we can't be better. We must be better. Cool. Yo, what up, fam? I totally forgot to mention that. The reason why the quality of sound sounds the way it does is because we had so many technical difficulties that we were running into and we had to stop and record, stop and record so many different times. And what you're going to hear next is going to sound significantly better than what you're hearing now quality-wise. All right, let's get it. We are back. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Not from a break, but from a... Breaking from technical difficulties, uh, we're here with Dr. Pastor Brian Hudson discussing his book, uh, Biblical and Social Justice. What is it? Mm. So uh, when we <laughs> when we had our uh, unfortunate um, incident happening um, with technology and whatnot, the last thing we were, what we were starting to talk about is what do you what do you feel like you personally do like coming from a pastor's perspective um what do you personally do when you encounter someone who uh just staunchly disagrees uh with you like especially a person who's also in the faith right uh not only disagrees with like just the ideas of what you're talking about but like even um not willing to dive into the deeper histories and narratives that clearly show us um, the prolonging of systemic racism post-slavery and the civil rights movement? Well, that's an interesting question. In my particular case, I'm not really inclined to converse with people who indicate that they aren't willing to listen and learn. Mm-hmm. And if somebody starts with a narrative, you know, narrative is the story, is the version of a story. Right. And if, and if people are coming with a narrative, such as narrative America's founded on Christian principles, that narrative. Well, that indicates they haven't studied history. <laughs> they, haven't, they haven't really viewed objective history. So it's difficult, uh, Malachi, to um, engage with people who are, who are not realistically looking at history or facts. And so, honestly, I have to kind of just back away my, um, my scriptural uh, response would be, Jesus said, now this he, he didn't mean it in a bad way, but you don't <laughs> cast your pearls before swine. Right. Not saying people are swine. Just no, no, do no, not no. don't give things, don't just waste something precious with someone who's obviously not serious. Now, if someone's serious, yeah, I'll be happy to go in with them and we'll do a study. Uh we'll I recommend some things for them to read. Uh-huh. One of the great books to read. I, I recommend the uh, Frederick Douglass narrative. He wrote, he wrote his own narrative, right, in his, in his own hand. Yeah. And I encourage, read the narrative of Frederick Douglass. It's a very short book, and it gives a real strong uh, view uh, from, a former, from a former enslaved person mm-hmm. what systemic racism did then 
yeah. and how the roots uh, are, the, how the residue of it is still with us today. Right. And I just I got an to audio book too. It's on sale. <laughs> it is marvelous. Cause I, it's just, I bought several copies years ago and I've given those out over the years. Oh, so that's one answer I'll give. If they're serious, I'm happy to engage with them. Yeah, yeah. But if they push back against me or against the truth or against facts, I just leave it there, move on. It just is what it is at that point, right? It's like uh, what you're saying in your book, you called individuals like that, quote, a person caught up in a narrative. So it's it's, it's not just that there's a, there's a narrative there or, or a version of a story, a version of a narrative, but this person is caught up in that narrative so much so that, like you said, they're not willing to see the value of the subject matter nor the the conversation itself and like what we hope to achieve uh through that conversation through that conversation which is like enlightenment and um understanding and then afterwards uh better application of what we believe yes and to be clear um now the narrative now narrative has different definitions right so we all right go know, ahead I, I do grant writing and the narrative is to, is what we say where we talk about reporting on what we did with the grant money. Mm. But I mean narrative in the sense that it's a it's a version of a genuine story. So so over here is the story, the true history of something or the true story behind something or somebody. Well then rather than refer to the story, mm -hmm. some people extract their own narrative, right? Their version of the story. So rather than tell the story, they create a narrative their own story, if you will. Right. Um, and they want to uh, hang on to and promote and promulgate a narrative rather than go directly to the story and tell it like it is, right? <laughs> tell it like it said, is. Tell like a T.I. is. <laughs> my <mom> right. <laughs> yeah, me, meanwhile, my mom, my mom, she would say like, she, I've never, to my, to my knowledge, I don't think I've ever heard in my upbringing, maybe as an adult, but like as a kid from my brother and I, I don't think I've ever heard my mom say essentially what you're telling us here that someone is believing a lie. Like I've never heard my mom like call me and my brother a liar like that. She'd be like, oh, you're telling a story. Mm -hmm. She'd be like, stop telling them stories. Yes. Right. So the words, <laughs> the words can mean different things. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. I'm just saying that, but for me, the story is what actually happened. Like, you know, I'm also a journalism minor, right? So in journalism, you know, the story's the story's the key, right? The story's the key. But if people don't pay attention and get the facts straight, then they don't have the story, the real mm. story. And so they just grab something from their from their imagination or, <laughs> or from wishful thinking. Yes. And they put it out there. I mean, for example, to make it sound uh, good. It's like, man, like... exactly. And uh, now, you know, I'm not gonna pick on my brother. Uh, so much, we you know, about Herschel Walker talked about, he talked about global warming, right? He talked okay. about America's good air being pushed <laughs> over to America, to China's bad air. Oh. And then in return, they'll, China will send us their bad air. Interesting. Just, yeah. Now, you, you can Google that. It's, it's hilarious. The point is, I will. Definitely. He didn't have the story. He didn't know the story. He didn't, didn't he even know the give, story. It was it was a, it was a question about environmental factors mm. of which he hadn't studied and did not know the story. Mm. So he just made up a narrative of bad <laughs> air and and that we're in a bubble and right. it, all kind of stuff. So that happens kind of all across the board. It happens in history, in education. It happens in 
discussions of justice and social yeah. justice, rather than take the time to learn, people just imagine, literally imagine and create and fabricate a, a, a narrative, a false narrative. Yeah, and like, I feel like that's a, I mean, two things, one with the Christian conviction, like, that's not that's not practicing or exemplifying the fruits of the spirit like in particular with patience right and then um aside from that like i feel like that's an unfortunate consequence of something that we were talking about before like pointing out um in white culture the value of um presenting oneself as knowledgeable or the most knowledgeable in the room right and so it it seems like um compensation for perhaps like a a latent feeling of like oh i lack the knowledge oh i lack the ethos i lack the credibility or at least i think i do therefore i have to come up with some kind of presentation that takes the form of a narrative to present Mm -hmm. myself as knowledgeable on this subject matter that i know zilch about (laughs) it happens a lot i mean it happens in where majority culture some white folks, they feel a need to to be the alpha male or female to to be perceived as having the default answer, the core knowledge. When in fact is sometimes folk don't know, you know, now, truth they be told, we, we black folks sometimes you know, we act like we know everything. And the best thing we can yeah, say, yeah. I think, sometimes is I don't know. Best I thing to know. do. I don't know. And would you please inform me, help me? And I've been, you know, now, now we, we're educators, you and I. Um, you educate, of course, in the schools. I educate as a minister. But as educators, we, we, we value learning. We're lifelong learners, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's an honor what the call for us is. to say, I don't know. I'm going to yep. look into that, right? Yep. Why can't folk do that? Well, you know, part of the, the systemic racism is that notion where there have to be someone in charge, someone who has a right to know yeah, and who feels obligated to always give an answer, even when they don't know. Right. Hmm. So like my mentor had a mentor used to say, if you don't know, don't help me. (laughs) (laughs) Don't help me if you don't know. (laughs) And it's a problem. I remember, um, you know, I'm into tech as you know, and, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm a middle age, a little bit past middle age now, you know, male, black male, I'm not that's a what you want to say about yourself. I guess. <laughs> Look at me. You don't think he's a geek, you know. I walk, so I go places, people trying to educate me. <laughs> thing, you know, yeah. And they assume because the way I look <laughs> in my, you know, he, he, he couldn't know about this. Right. And so, yeah. So it's, it's interesting uh, that systemic issues have been born out of pride, often out of this sense of entitlement. Yeah. Where I, I, I'm supposed to know this. Well, it's okay if you don't. And the best thing you can do is, if you don't know, say, I don't know. Or shut your mouth. <laughs> Please. Or go find a subject matter expert, an SME. Go, Remember those days in college? Yes. Go find a subject find matter a subject ma- expert to support your thesis, support your work. Uh, don't, don't try to figure it out. Find right. who knows. Yes. Yes. I, I, Remember, go in ahead. my children's... Um, my children went to a Christian school, and uh, and so you know during Black History Month they had they someone had an idea for an activity. Mm-hmm. 
They're going to make half the children slaves and half oh, of them slave owners. No, 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 no. Yes, they did. <laughs> they tried to replicate the experience of what it'd be wow. like to be on the run as a slave. And oh, Lord. It was, so, it was so bad, we had to go to the school and say, look now, shut this down. Mm. We, we, we shut it down, okay? It. Okay. Yeah, this, this is not appropriate. And we said, what you want to do is go get a subject matter expert. That's it. But see, the point, but to our point, sometimes rather than find someone who's knowledgeable, you know, a black person to talk about black history, yeah, white people can do it too, but me, I'm saying a knowledgeable person, they yeah, just yeah. proceed to create or invent a narrative. And this idea of making some children slave slaves and some slave owners, it was, man, I couldn't believe it, it was incredible. So we, wow. we helped them. They sh it wasn't from an evil place in them. Right? No, like, but from like a highly ignorant place. For highly sure. ignorant. Yeah. Right. And like, mm -hmm. I think that's important for like folk to understand, like, um, as we, especially like for us who like call out racism right. that we understand is like, and then for the people on the receiving end, it's like, we're not saying that you are evil for this ignorant. Yes. Not an expert not knowledgeable which mm -hmm. is okay like that it's called being a human <laughs> yes right and yeah, and there's an that. opportunity there for growth and an opportunity there for help and um and betterment not and not just for you but definitely for the people who you are affecting True. because like you said this was this was at your children's school your children are there and i'm quite sure other black children are there i don't know how many but somewhere very, very few. <laughs> it's, some, the, the other three. <laughs> yeah, the other three, literally. The other three, okay. Right. Um, let's let's try to uh, land on this. So um, the last time we tried to record, we talked a bit about this, and I wanted to you know, still hear your perspective, especially for the sake of the listeners and whatnot. And I thought it was just like uh, something profound to think about um, coming from like a pastor, right? So as we or navigating this conversation about critical race theory and things of that matter. Like this seems to have been blowing up in the ether of uh, for the past, like two ish years. Remember it started with like the conversation about like, Oh, uh, anybody talking about social justice in the church context or in our faith context is like a uh, social justice warrior. It went from that to now you're a cultural Marxist and a socialist and perhaps a communist. And now the term is you're a critical race theorist. Like, how, Pastor, how did we get here? And um, how do you feel is like the best way for us to like navigate this conversation and this debate about um, how to approach social justice in general? And then like when people are specifically trying to rope in critical race theory in that conversation. Well, that in and of itself, when they try to rope it together, you're getting a clue to that they don't know what they're talking about because they're mm. not the same thing, right? Social justice is one thing. Critical race theory is something else, right? Yep. But when, when people have identified something they think they can use to scare people as a boogeyman, uh, I believe they sometimes speak of these things just to motivate people to drive votes a certain direction. Mm. So it's unfortunate that critical race theory has become, again, a big false narrative circulating around and especially the idea that CRT is not compatible with the gospel. Well, 
CRT had nothing to do with the gospel, you know, any more than quantum physics has <laughs> something to do with the gospel. Or developing vaccines against COVID. It's not, it's not about the gospel. Really not. So, yeah, so critical race theory, and this, you know, that's, that, that's a whole, whole other subject and, and, you know, and program. But CRT essentially was a research project, legal research project from 40 years ago. Right. 40 years ago. 40 years. Yeah, at Harvard University. And, and it was something started to look at case law and see if there were patterns in case law that would identify um, mm-hmm. laws being influenced by racism and right. by other factors. Right. And, and so case law revealed it. You know, studies um, looking at, you know, going back to, to the 40s, 50s, and 60s, right. you can plainly see where laws and, and cases that were filed were about racism. Right, Brown versus Board of yeah, Education, sure, and then there was sure. one that preceded it that um, called into question the idea of intersectionality. I can't remember what the case is called, but I'm just like, Penelope, yeah. yeah, go ahead. And for every major case, there were small instances, small cases. And so CRT, critical race theory, now, the reason for that term, there's critical theory. That's another... Right. Subject. Yeah. So it's a lot in here, Malachi. So rather than people... Go find a subject matter expert <laughs> to <laughs> break it all down or, or go read source documentation. Right. Someone said it's against the gospel. So we got to be against it. And that's, that's their stance. I even saw a campaign, <laughs> a campaign sign out in somebody's yard, had the, can, the candidate's name under the said anti-CRT. <laughs> They're running on that. Really? Running on that, okay? <sighs> so, yeah, so, so Malachi, it's, it's sad whenever people do not choose to take the time to learn, to understand, to yeah. consult with experts, they end up with these false narratives. And so then, but to, comp- but to conflate critical race theory with social justice, see, those are whole different subjects. But when people try to conflate those two, then they can throw in, they can throw in uh, secular humanism. Right. You know, back when I was a kid, your age, the, uh, you know, secular humanism was the CRT of today. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So it's, it's a question that I can't answer fully because even critical race theorists don't agree on everything. Right. So, so I'm learning. They themselves debate. Right. Yeah. They debate. That's why it's a healthy thing because they're debating it. Right. This is what happens in like those. This is what happens in academia, right? Yes. They they challenge each other all the time. Yeah. The way it's supposed to happen. Like yeah. Exactly. It's uh, sadly it's what we don't do sometimes as Christians. We don't challenge each other. We we we, we're not, um, you know, being reasonable and and analytical um, when it comes to what we say and think. (laughs) But we have Christian colleges and universities. Yeah. Well, (laughs) I think part of it too, now the reasons, the reason I believe sometimes Christians struggle is this. We as believers in Christ, all right, we have biblical conviction. We believe certain things Mm -hmm. as we, as we should. Okay. But what sometimes what, what, what some Christians do is say, for example, critical race theory, Mm -hmm. if they believe if they believe, quote unquote, it's anti-gospel, they make that a part of their faith. <laughs> I'm telling you, it becomes it becomes an article of faith. Wow. And when and so when so when these Christians make something an article of faith, 
Right. And it added to their bag of convictions. Right. There's no there's no moving with them. There's no reasoning with them. You know, as those songs, I shall not be moved. I shall not be moved. <laughs> it's a part of their church bylaws now, and they put out statements on the internet as if like yes. people really like are rehearsing the the words of those statements over and over again in their heads to be like, yes, this is what we affirm as this denomination or as this yes. church body, like. And that's okay. what Christians should do. <laughs> Listen, we shouldn't do that with science or right. with social science. We need to. You know, there's a word called empirical, right? Empirical evidence. Empirical yes. is something that is visible, is observable. Right, it's concrete. Repeatable. Right, concrete. And it's objective versus subjective. Yes. Well, when when Christians mix in, you know, their their belief system mm. with science or social science or other matters like this, then they run the risk of 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 turning off their 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 logic <laughs> and turning off their their understanding and just latching on to a conviction mm. and once it becomes a conviction there's no there's no knowledge can enter no knowledge can enter there's no learning wow and that's what is heartbreaking to me about some Christians uh, who don't take the time to learn or think they can learn anything right or think that every answer everything that's in the whole world the Bible has a scripture for it <laughs> or thinking that, you know, a sermon will fix everybody's problem. <laughs> right. Right. And it's not like, right? I'll just say yeah. this real quick. And it's not like <clears throat> the Bible can't give us any tools to like help us tackle uh, these big issues, like uh, issues of systemic racism and social justice uh, matters and whatnot. Like what, what we're saying is like the, the empirical, information and data shows well not necessarily data but information shows that race as a social construct did not even exist in the times of the bible from the hebrew bible old testament to even when revelations was written or any of uh paul's epistles like there were no racial categories there were ethnic differences yeah. in ethnic categories nationalities, yeah, nationalities. Right, right. right but there was no white black which is kind of it's kind of hard to say because like the the word ethiopia is in the bible or at least in english translations which right. translates to the word like black or black skin or whatever something like that right. don't quote me i'm not i'm not as sme <laughs> but yeah. that that in and of itself was not speaking to a racial hierarchical system that devalued that um that chronically devalued blackness no that was just a, a a general marker of a person from a specific area a very specific area in the world yes well you you're correct um race race as we know it today is an invention Yes. Um, you know, we look at the scripture in the book of Acts. You don't have black, white, Asian. You have, you have, you know, again, the Ethiopians. Well, you got people. You have Ethiopia, which like, I'm Africa. just kidding. I'm, that was a joke. That was a joke. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and so now, so then it's interesting that when the slave trade started and the Europeans began to trade in human lives, mm -hmm. then of course they, we became less, we, we ceased being African and began to be black. Or, or Negro, or whatever they called us. Yeah. So that's unfortunate. But let me tell you this about the, about the Word of God. Now, think about the Bible. 
um, the Bible shapes our character. Mm -hmm. The word of God and Jesus Christ shape our character. And so when we become better people, we can help situations in the world. That's it, yeah. See, the mistake is people think they can throw a scripture at something or somebody. Mm -hmm. But if people don't even believe, if people aren't even believers in Christ and Christ followers, you cannot compel people to be doers of the word. Hmm. <laughs> we don't know the Lord, okay? Or worse, as Corinthians, Paul said, the, the person without the Spirit of God does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God. Hmm. But they consider them to be foolishness, hmm. right? Because they, it takes discernment by the Spirit to know what the Scriptures teach. So then, yeah, yeah. yeah so hear me clearly now. The Bible uh, is not Scripture that, that ends racism, okay? It's right. scripture working in people who know God, who love and serve Christ, that we let God transform us. And mm -hmm. then we go over and we make differences and changes. Dr. King, for example, they didn't go around preaching. He's accused of not even being faithful to the word. <laughs> they were they called him a Marxist and a socialist yeah. and a communist. What they internalized scripture, the character of Christ, right? Yes. And then they went and did direct action. Right. They did Mon Montgomery bus boycott. Right. There's no scripture for that. They, okay. they didn't march around the walls of the uh, of Jericho in a sense. Like, like don't get me wrong, there were like demonstrations that were like those kind of actions, but it was met and matched with things that they were doing politically and strategically as well. Very strategic. So my point is, to the extent that the scripture, the Bible, and Jesus Christ shape our character. Now, by the way, to our previous point we made, in my view, biblical justice is what we do based on what God has given us direction to do. How we live mm. our lives, how we conduct ourselves, yeah. how we live righteously, uh, what God said to, to, to us about family and marriage, that's biblical justice. Yeah, I cannot impose that on people who don't know God. Right. But, but we think we can. We think that we can. We can somehow make people, all right, conform <laughs> by doing quote unquote biblical justice. No, the biblical justice is for the people of God. In my research, in my book, I bring it out where when you research the subject of justice in the Bible, mm -hmm. the word justice and righteousness are interchangeable often. Yes, very. Yeah. So there's no justice without righteousness. And That's no right. Righteousness without justice. That's right. And you can't do either one without God in your life. Yeah. So then from now, so, so social justice then represents our engagement in society. Feeding the hungry, advocating for children, assisting the poor, speaking out against injustice. You follow me? Yes, so, yes, so, yes. So what the word of God and Jesus does in us, mm. we turn around and we we ourselves do the work to help people feed the hungry, advocate for children, etc. This so, pastor's preaching, y'all. You preaching? So yeah, a little bit, but yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> but my point, so I am so dismayed when when Christians run around. They think, okay, we're having we're going to have us a, a community meeting. All right, all right. <laughs> and some folks think, okay, I'm gonna bring my Bible. Slide that mug on the table, too. Bam! No, we need, what expertise do you have? How have you, 
So there is this simplistic thinking, Malachi, among some believers mm-hmm. that if I just show up, God's with me and we're going to somehow change this whole thing because I, I, I'm with God. Well, mm. that's magical thinking. <laughs> and you know, like, look at Dr. King. Look at that movement. They they had workshops on nonviolent strategies. Yes. They, they purged themselves of anger. And, and I mean, they, they had the trainings. They, they had the train to be nonviolent. They did, man. And so this is what we have to get back to. That's why I like to also remind people, go back and read and study the movement. And let's replicate their yeah. methods. Some of us, we have, you know, we had protests around the George Floyd murder, which mm-hmm. were important. But yes. some folk went, to, went and protested and just took selfies. <laughs> My goodness. That's the whole reason they were there, getting a selfie. Right. Dr. <clears throat> King, those guys, they, they, they didn't organize a protest without a clear purpose. Yeah, yeah, strategy. So we have to get back, I think, to being more strategic. Yes. And and really thinking these things through. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Um, Some people just show up and try to get their couple of seconds of clout. They probably weren't at the organizing meetings for these protests uh, that are happening locally. Or in, um, you know, across the across the nation, okay. like yeah. <laughs> some people don't get me wrong. Like I, I do appreciate the efforts of some people. Like some, like when the um, no DAPL situation was happening right. in either North or South Dakota, some people like traveled all the way from West Coast, East Coast, Midwest just to go and protest. Uh, but I think it's just important for people to be connected to the community. Yes, uh, that is being affected by whatever's going on, the injustice and connect with the leaders in that community, uh, to be, to partner with them. Right. Have that proximity. And that was not the King. That's where they excelled in how they organized, right? They work with local leaders and they would not move without local support. And as you say, and suggest we've seen recent protests, people just kind of come in, swoop mm. in and, you know, get in front of the parade. It seems, uh, to be seen and heard. Yeah. Again, I, but I thank God for everybody, everyone trying to make a difference. I'm not being, you know, I'm not dismissing those who, who have a heart. I think we can do things better. We always can. And by researching the methods of we the civil rights can. movement would be very helpful to all of us. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So, Pastor, I appreciate you sharing your perspective. Um, I love how, like, you're it seems like with a lot of these conversations that I'm having about specifically with critical race theory, like the, and just highlighting the importance of, of scholarship, like whether like we're recognizing the academic side of things, that was important to be a subject matter expert. If you're going to um, put yourself in a leading position to speak on the subject um, and try to build credibility with that, or like just, being a good steward of studying, like if you, if you really want to dive into this and understand this stuff for yourself, uh, not that it's something's wrong with it and like <laughs> antithetical to the gospel, but it's like you know, test and see what this thing is before you even speak on it. Go Absolutely. and learn for yourself. Do some reading and research. Spend some time, uh, it, because some of these subjects are very complex. That's right. why they're they're studied at legal at law schools. You know, for example, people yeah. talk about CRT, concern about their children being exposed. There is no CRT being taught. 
in grade school. <laughs> not at all. In high school. You know, it's not. No. As a high school teacher myself, I can tell you, it's not being taught. No, it's not being taught. <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's a graduate school subject. Right. Yeah. So that by itself shows you that it's being it's being used for other reasons. I believe, I believe to, you know, again, to drive votes, to to uh, uh, to foster a negative uh, or to foster a, to foster a false narrative yes. in order to in order to organize people around some some fear or some hatred or some cause of which they can benefit. Right. Without and even that, having to know what we're talking about. Right. Right, and that in and of itself is anti-gospel. <laughs> yeah, it's against scripture principle for sure. Yeah, not being truthful, you know. You know, when, when the Bible talks about truth, people, I think, feel understand that when the Spirit of God is the Spirit of truth, right? Well, mm-hmm. there's God's truth, but it's also objective truth. And yes. I believe that God would have us committed to both, that what the Bible teaches, that's truth, Mm-hmm. But also what actually is true in the world. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, what's actually true in the world in science. I, God gave natural science. God gave it. And so when That's people right. oppose truth at any level, that is anti-gospel, if you will. Right. Mm. Yeah. Because we should be people of all, above all, people who respect truth and who uphold truth, even if that truth inconveniences me. Even if that right. truth shows me I'm wrong. <laughs> right. Be committed to truth, objective truth. Be committed to objective truth, right. It's like what the scripture says, like, add to your faith virtue and knowledge. Yes. Yes, sir. That's good, Pastor. Well, thank you so much for joining us uh, here on the Unapologetics Podcast. Uh, please, everybody, go get this book, Biblical and Social Justice, What Is It? You need that in your life right now, right now. Go ahead and cop that mug. Uh, we'll put the link in the we'll put the link in the description for everybody. Uh, it's accessible from digital format to physical copy, and who knows, you might see. Um, I, I think we said this. I can't remember if we, we said it in the earlier recording, but you said you're working on a second edition of this for this. Yeah, working on updating uh, this edition. This this came out in fall of 2020, and a lot has happened mm-hmm. since. A lot. Yeah. So my book, for example, <laughs> doesn't address critical race theory at all. Yeah. So I want to touch on those those matters and just kind of update the content. The content still is accurate, but so much has happened since. I wrote the book, so it's time to do an update. And I'll All right. That. So sure. listen, when that happens, we definitely are going to have you back. Thank you, sir. <laughs> Appreciate it. All right, now. Thank you. All right, Malachi. God bless. and theology y'all listen I don't think y'all ready for this season I mean I think obviously I think you are because you're listening but what I'm trying to say and what I'm trying to convey is that this is just the tip of the iceberg 
and there's so much more coming your way, so much more in store. Uh, when it comes to this conversation, the uh, people I talk to, the books I'm reading, and the conversations that um, I hope that you are going to start having or will continue to have accordingly. And I, I, I wish I wish I can like really talk more about what what we've just heard here and really like reflect on those things. But uh, I, I mean, I guess to 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 walk away with one reflection is really like back to the question itself, like is critical race theory comparable with the gospel? Sorry, compatible. Ah, <laughs> reading that article really got me messed up. Like, I really think you should have said compatible. Uh, this is no offense to, um, to the writer. And I hope to have him on, uh, this podcast for one of these episodes here in this season for this, uh, in theory series. So what, what, we'll, what we'll see is from episode to episode, just kind of, I guess, give you a tease of what, uh, ep- new episodes are coming. Um, uh, you'll see various, opinions about this question and i think it's i think it's healthy that we first talk with black scholars black theologians black pastors and black critical race theorists um it's been hard to find some so if y'all want to help me out (laughs) Uh, but i will be taking a look at their work and seeing if there's an answer to that question here but you're going to see various answers and i think it's important that we hear all of those responses that we hear all of those opinions and synthesize those into a better way of approaching the question and a better way of answering the question and having conversations with others about this question. Um, especially others who are sitting across the table from us or in the standing room or who are outside or people who are not even thinking about this and then people who don't even know how to think about this and people who would try to tell you how to think about this without actually knowing what this is. <laughs> so, um, it, it may seem like me presenting all of these, presenting like two, um, I guess like opposing sides, like might seem confusing, uh, to some, but just understand black folk are not a monolith. Like, you know, like we, there's a spectrum of thought in our community. So if, if one is saying that, okay, there, there is dichotomy between the gospel and critical race theory, then it's not the end of the world. It's fine. That means like, let's, let's keep asking around, like let's get opinions and uh, thoughts from everyone here and synthesize those because everyone has something important to say and, and there's something to learn from everyone. So I'm chewing on what I've heard here in this uh, interview uh, with Pastor Hudson. And I'm thinking like, okay, like is, is like, one, am I asking the right question? Am I approaching this question the right way? Or like, yeah, like what, what do we do now um, that it's being said that perhaps there isn't like much compatibility here between uh critical race theory and the gospel. Maybe there is something to say that we should just leave this to those particular scholars and let that be its own thing outside of the church space and outside of Christianity. Or maybe there's more to it. I don't know. Stick around. Let's find out. <laughs> on the next episode of the Unapologetics Podcast. We're here. We're unapologetically black, unapologetically Christian, and unapologetically me. With no apologies.
Hey, follow us on the socials. Look in the description. Click the links. 